In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Do you know anybody that likes diets? I, I don't like diets. Eating programs are tough. Don't you find that? And there are some programs that stress, don't even use the word diet. It's not helpful. Because even though it's only a noun, diet, and it only means, you know, the intake of food for a creature, it's uh, paired with a lot of frustrating attempts and some failures in achieving things about physical health or about appearance. Most of us have very odd (laughs) relationships with food, at least in the first world. Uh... We reduce throughout our lives, uh, people in the first world try all kinds of reduction diets. What do we reduce? We reduce this or that food element from our intake, or we reduce calorie intake in hopes of reducing our physical size and reducing our, well, our, our risk of, of health. All right, enough of that. I don't really want to talk about diets. I don't want to talk about food or even reduction. I'm actually wanting to get from there to a concept of expansion. We want to expand. We want to talk about spiritual intake that will expand our relationship with God and with each other. It's my sense generally that people cheat themselves out of fulfillment by reducing and holding back in important relationships. Certainly, I say people reduce and hold back in their relationship with God. Most of this tendency is very natural. I get it. As an individual, you are responsible for your well-being and as part of your health to play things safe. It's actually built in to our survival instincts to be on guard. We're vulnerable enough just going along and getting along and it doesn't feel wise to add vulnerability by reaching out, by opening up, by expanding our attention to relationships to God or really to anybody else. It feels safer to affiliate with the other, keeping him or her at arm's length. Well, let's face it, two arm's lengths, right? That's closer to six feet right now. But I mean more figuratively. We hold ourselves back. We hold ourselves at length from others. Better to work on being okay by ourselves than to risk linking our well-being to a being that's out of our control. In my thoughts about this idea, I was reading uh, our scriptures for today. And uh, I am fascinated, like we all are and should be, with the Moses Saga. It's a fascinating tale of a movement out of slavery 
but into risk, into the possibility of relationship unlike any that they have experienced. And in this saga, the main players are God, of course, Moses, the prophet, and the people of God. And there's all this interplay from story to story to story about how do we relate? How do we get along? And the answer is not very well. You have the people mad at Moses. Moses very frustrated with God. And we have God getting upset with Moses and with the people. And they sort of take turns moving things along. Sometimes it's God that's calming down Moses to be able to handle the people. Sometimes it's Moses calming down God like we heard today in order to keep things uh, going. And so there's a big, huge mix-up. And the story of Sinai is fascinating because Moses goes up to signal the incredible relationship between God and this people. And something of mystery is happening up on the top of the mountain. But the people are left below. And as is quite natural with people, they don't like to wait, and they get very nervous, and they wonder about their safety. And so they take things into their own little hands. And at some point, they think, whatever it is Moses is doing up there on the mountain, we haven't even seen him. We don't know where he is. We need to do something. And so they create for themselves what they know how to create. They make a plan, and actually they make quite a splendid spectacle, humanly speaking. I mean, there's fire. There's gold. There's dancing. There's singing. There are priests there. Humanly speaking, it's grand. It's better than the complete silence they, they're hearing from God and from God's uh, prophet. But they're cheating themselves. They're not waiting. They're cheating themselves of the relationship that God has in mind from them that he's working with Moses to deliver to the people. For Moses is about to bring down on tablets of stone commandments which are more than just do's and don'ts. You know, we think about the Decalogue. We think about the commandments as, uh, as uh, eight don'ts and two do's. And we better get after it. But that's not what the commandments really are. The commandments are a sign of our special relationship with God that proves that our behavior matters because we have holiness at stake. We worship a holy God and our lives are to are to play into the holiness of God. And so this is not just an affiliation with the holy. This is an encounter with the holy. And they don't wait for it. They manage. They put their hands on their own little plan. I, I wrote down some some thoughts in sort of free verse and kind of raw, but
but sometimes uh, this gets you moving into your look at something as confusing as relationship and as uh, Scripture's revelation. So this is called reduced to rubble. The tablets crack, they crumble when the crash they feel. On the mountaintop they felt so real. Now, where could they go? What could they do with a crew so bent on reducing them? With a crowd that would construe them mere tickets to affiliation? Born of the mind and the fiery finger of the holy, the flat stone tablets first descend with the prophet, then fly from his hands. They fall against the rocky foot of Sinai. Now in fragments are they strewn, pebbles and chunks, showing the shattered nature of hearts bent on reduction, holding dreams shrunk down to what they know, to what their fingers can fashion without aid and with no more glory than glitter, the gold of their accessories. The golden calf dancers, these knights of resignation, take a pass on the one critical leap. Freshly fractured stones lie inert in a heap. Though at the summit, tablets intact, the script on the stone was passage to everywhere. And always, in fragments, they spell out never and nowhere. When I read the, the uh, passages from Paul, especially these uh, out, of, out of Philippians that we've heard, uh, I see a man who gets that the relationship with God is full it's an encounter with God. It's life-changing. And I, I read through this passage and I think, Paul must have been uh, the very first that I know of. The, I guess it's always happened in, human, in the human family, but the first uh, cognitive behavioral therapist. Because what calls, Paul is interested in doing is in coaching his early Christian brothers and sisters into knowing that their thoughts, their feelings, and their actions of the present moment can make a difference, getting them to realize who they are uh, and what, what is possible, how grand the relationship with God, how grand the relationship with each other. And he's actually writing, in this case, to uh, a point of problem in the Christian community. There's, uh, there's these two, Euodia and Syntyche, who are not getting along. And he has in mind to actually move the community into their full relationship with each other and with God. And he says, it matters how you think. God has things for you, deliverable to you. And if you concentrate upon them, it will make a difference to you. He says, you know, you could worry, yes, but if you're going to go to the trouble of worrying, you should know 
that that kind of energy can also be spent in prayer. You should worry for nothing. You should be anxious for nothing. But in all things, with thanksgiving and intercession and, and praise, make your requests known to God. Now, what happens when we do that? He says, when you do that, the peace of God that no one can even describe or even fully imagine, the peace of God will be yours. It will guard your hearts and your minds in the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will make a difference. Your thoughts actually make a difference because they connect you fully in relationship with God. He goes on to say, you know, exercise this. Whatever is true and honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, pleasing, and commendable, if there's any excellence in anything, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on those things. And he goes on uh, to say, actions count too. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received. And the God of peace will be with you. Now, does that sound like a meager affiliation? Like you say, oh yeah, I know God. He's a good guy. It's not. It's a relationship. Don't you feel sorry in the parable for the ones who have an affiliation with God and don't have time for the wedding banquet? They have the invitations because they're affiliates of God. But, you know, they're, they're covered up. And so they don't go. The king's not going to have it. And so he sends out slaves to pull in the hoi polloi of the town, the people that don't count, the people that have no affiliation with the king. And instead of a mere affiliation, what they wind up with is an encounter with the king and the king's son. They wind up in relationship in celebration with the king. Now that's what we all want. And that's what we will have. You know, this is uh, just a building. We're out here in the flatlands, sloping down toward the Gulf. But we're on a summit here of uh, Sinai. This is an encounter with the holy. This very place becomes for us a sign of that full relationship that we want and can have with God. We shouldn't settle. There's no settling for a reduction of this relation. What we want to do, and that's what we're up to all the time every day, what we want to do is to expand to the fullest our encountering of God, our full relationship and encounter.
Amen.